Welcome to another episode of the Big J and Little J Show, where we will be discussing Duke's head coach opening. Uh, last week, I told you guys that we would be making a new episode once we had a head coach. But now, after the numbers of last episode, we're going to give you guys an update of the coaching search. So I got Connor on here on a last-minute call, and that's what we're going to step right into, Connor. It's been a week since Elko has left Duke, and Duke has started their coaching search. And with Nina King's timeline, she says it's going to be quicker than last one two years ago, which was 12 days. I'm assuming by Friday of this week will be the time we know Duke gets a head coach because that'll be roughly 10 days. But Connor, first off, how are you doing today? I'm good. Um, I don't remember Nina saying it would be quicker than last time. I think she said it would move swiftly like last time. Maybe you can correct me there. Maybe I could be still right though. I still am anticipating by Friday because I think we knew I think we knew uh the 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 timeline is muddy to me. I thought last time it was the Thursday afternoon when we had to go through Jason Garrett hell and then Friday uh like was when the report started circulating that Elko had accepted the job. And then we did the, we did the press. I think we did the press conference on like the other side of the weekend. Okay. Like it was a thing that, um, I don't know. It was two years ago. So my brain is basically mush of what that time looked like. But um, I want to say we knew by Friday last time around, uh, whatever, like 12 days out from when they knew they needed a new coach. Yeah, and this one's obviously different because this is a Duke team that's bowling as they're going to be playing in uh, Birmingham Bowl against Troy, whereas two years ago, it was just like, okay, season's over, let's get a head coach, let's start getting our roster. But now it's a weird time where you don't have a head coach. People are jumping in and out of the portal. Coaches are rumored to stay, rumored to leave. It's just a weird – Duke's never had anything like this in my lifetime, obviously, like – where they're playing postseason football, but it seems irrelevant because there is no head coach right now besides, obviously, the interim Trooper Taylor, who is a candidate for the for the opening. Yeah, who's going to be your Jake Bobo this time around? Hmm. I get, like, who I'll significantly miss from going to the portal? Yeah, and more so just a guy that hops into the portal before a, a hire is made who goes and plays his ass off and then becomes an NFL player and – I mean, it's got to be Riley. It's got to be Riley Leonard. Like, I know, obviously, the writing was yeah. on the one. He wasn't – he was projected not to come back to Duke anyways for the NFL in the preseason of the – like, of this past football season, but he would be my Jake Bubba of this class, and I, I will miss Riley significantly. But has anything changed on your end? Obviously, we had the coaching search and two of the candidates that I said last episode. And, by the way, for the record, it was such a, like – so new that Duke, we didn't really have a list. So we were just going with candidates that made sense for us at the time. And Sean Lewis and Willie Fritz are two that I had. They are off the board. Sean Lewis <laughs> is at San Diego State. And Willie Fritz is going to sign a pretty big deal for Houston at Houston, which makes sense because they're making the jump to the Big 12. And so Duke's going to be over to my Duke's going to be over to on my candidates that, that we talked about last week. But is there any news regarding your Charles Huff candidate? Yeah, so Charles Huff, as uh, we're recording this Monday afternoon, news just broke a little bit ago that he's hired a offensive coordinator. Uh, I think it's Seth Doge or Deggy who played quarterback, one of those Texas schools. I think Texas Tech. Um, Texas Tech. Sounds familiar. Mm-hmm. I, as I said on my message board, I wouldn't completely rule out Charles Huff 
but typically when you see a guy hire a coordinator, it means he's planning on being there, right? Like you're not you're not hiring some guy and then telling him a week later, hey, by the way, I'm I'm out of here. Uh, so I guess you know if if you have Charles Huff's name in in pen, just take a pencil and draw a pencil line through it. Um, I don't know that you can fully rule him out, but you can pretty much um, figure he's not a candidate at this point. Um, the one that you can rule out 100% is Kirk Sinetti. He was on my list. He's the new Indiana coach. Um, I'll give you the one little story on Kurt now that I don't have to worry about covering him, at least in the immediate future. Uh, he was Elon's coach for two years. And he left Elon to go to a, another school in the same conference. I'm not, for those who don't know, I'm an Elon alum. I'm not bitter about him leaving Elon for JMU. Like that, it was a better job. It was better situated in the FCS. And obviously, then they went to the FBS. Elon is still years and years away from making a jump to the FBS. What I'm bitter about is both seasons he was at Elon, he ran his running back into the ground. Uh, resulted in a torn hamstring both years. It was a running back that I'd covered in high school. Went to Jordan's alma mater, Eastern Alamance. His name was Malcolm Summers. Yep. And I would say Malcolm was probably one of the five or ten high school players that I covered in about five and a half years who I grew really, really close with. Like, Malcolm and I knew, you know, like, it got to the point where after games, you know, you, you go tell the coach you want to talk to this player and this player – if Malcolm was not one of the players I wanted to talk to, he'd still come and talk to me just to like check in with me, make sure I didn't need him for anything. I loved Malcolm. So Kirk Signetti running Malcolm Summers into the ground two years in a row. Uh, I'm not over that. I probably won't be over it for a while. Malcolm might be over it before I'm over it. He might already be over it, but that's a little Kirk Signetti backstory for you. Um, yeah. I've I wasn't not- bitter enough to, I wasn't bitter enough to like, think he wasn't a candidate. He was out there. He's he's in the region. He's there. He had a great season. But uh, that's just a little backstory for you. Yeah, I've known that story for a while. So that's I'm glad you got it off your chest because, I mean, yeah, he was an outstanding running back, obviously, at Eastern. And then Elon, he did. He was crazy. I mean, there was an FBS game that they played. Maybe it was Wake or somebody where he still had over 125 yards or something. And he was just – he was a talented running back, but he was injured a lot and – I know that was always your uh, story every time I, we talked about Elon football, but yeah, he's yeah, he gave him he gave him like 120 touches across a three week span or something like that. Crazy uh, in both years, like just repeated the same mistake both years. It's awful. I mean, it's, it's a good hire by Indiana though. He's a hell of a coach, and then Willie Fritz going to like I said, the Houston's a really good hire. Uh, it is going to be interesting to see the age that Duke's quarterback or quarterback Duke's head coach is going to be. Is he going to be on the older side of a Jim Knowles in his fifties? Is he going to be younger? Like, uh, uh, Summerall for Troy. I'm drawing a blank on his first name, but coach Summerall, John, John Summerall. Thank you. The, the, the weird thing and funny thing, if they, if they do go the John Summerall route, uh, They'd have coaches of the two main sports at Duke or the two revenue sports, Duke men's basketball and football, would both be Johns with no H's. The only you, I would, I would not have got that. You think about you think about this random shit when you got to type their names. That's the only thing. That's fair. No, that's fair. And uh, at at one point, at one point over the weekend, I typed Troy Coach Troy Summerall, and I was like, 
<laughs> Wait, no, this guy's name isn't Troy. He coaches at Troy. Yeah, I mean, he's a he's a great coach, and Duke's – it would be wild if Duke played against their soon-to-be head coach in a bowl game. But we're yeah, going gonna... to – You've got to go all the way back to last year to find the, the last time that happened in the ACC. Uh, was <laughs> it was uh, Scott Satterfield left Louisville to coach Cincinnati, and they were playing each other in the Fenway Bowl. That's right. I think things worked out for Louisville there. I don't think things have worked out for Cincinnati yet. That, no, that's right. I, only only thing I think about is Brent Pry uh, having an interview when he just took over Virginia Tech's head coaching vacancy while Virginia Tech was in a bowl. And while he was being interviewed, Virginia Tech was getting scored on left and right. And it was like a five-minute interview. And I'm like, this is an <laughs> awkward conversation. So uh, over the weekend, Football Scoop came out with an article saying that Initially, because I think they were the ones that jumped the gun, that when Elko took the job at AM, uh David Feely, I am all over the place with the first names now. David Feely was joining him at Texas AM. Then I started having rumors. I started hearing rumors that he was still at Duke. And I was like, wait a minute, this is not adding up. Like I thought he was going to AM. Then they came out with an article over the weekend. David Feely has indeed declined going to AM and that was the end of that article. But, Connor, what can you tell me more about this said article about Coach Feely? Yeah, it's uh, it's confirmed that he's expected back. And so that's, that's some solid info, and it's some still straddling the fence info because nothing is ever 100%. Like, if, if Duke hires somebody that then wants to bring in their own strength and conditioning coach, you're typically going to allow your new head coach to do that. Like the strength and conditioning coach, I have I know I've said it on, on our podcast many times before, like that is probably the most important coach in the program other than the head coach. Like we, we all get swept up in paying attention to who's your coordinators, especially for if you have a defensive co- head coach, then who's his offensive coordinator? Cause the defensive head coach doesn't know what the hell he's talking about when he goes and watches the offense and vice versa. I'll, I'll not get sidetracked in, into talking about why that's not the case, but I would just say the strength and conditioning coach is the most important person outside of the head coach in a football program. Uh, it is, look, we football is a physical game. You need to be physical. You need to be strong. The, it goes without saying that that's your strength. Uh, you need to be well-conditioned. And it's not any more important at Duke to have good strength and conditioning. It's just an area where, try to phrase this the right way, it feels like it's easier for Duke to lag behind uh, other ACC schools in that area. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes sense. And they did for a while until David Feely came. Right. And so that's where you land on it being so important that David Feely is tentatively leaning heavily, yes, towards staying because that keeps your foundation like intact. Like that, that's one pillar of your foundation that you know is still going to be there. And that is so important uh, to know moving forward, whoever the, whoever the new head coach is going to be. Um, you know, that's that's a huge victory for Duke. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you can overstate it. I know that I've said in 
probably dozens of interviews at this point uh, over the last two years when, you know, the question always comes up of, I was watching Duke uh, the other weekend and they looked really physical and they look like a Duke team that really knows how to hit you. And it's like, you know, where, where does that come from? It's like, well, it's David Feely. It's, it's the players for two years telling us how intensive of his off season summer program is and how much that bonds them over the summer and gives them a springboard into, into fall camp and then into the season. So yeah. keeping keeping David Feely is, is so important for this team. Yeah, sorry, didn't mean to jump the gun there, Connor. I was thinking, though, when you're talking about that, uh, Duke's first game against Clemson, I uh, forgot who, saw, saw who the sideline reporter was, and he said he was down on the field in the fourth quarter, and he was like, Duke is quick. He's, they're faster and they're more physical than Clemson. He's like, I never thought I'd see the day where Duke football is faster and stronger than Clemson, who was ranked number nine in the country. And that is strictly a credit, 100% credit to David Feely. So – Feely is expected to be back, like you said. And so for me, like like you said, every coach wants their own staff. So what does that mean? Like if I I'll read the tea leaves as a fan, like I and former coach and stuff. And if uh Elko said when he was hired that his biggest hire was the strength and conditioning coach. It wasn't the coordinators like we've touched on. So with that being said, if you already have a guy in place who you know is a pivotal person, but you're interviewing candidates that want their own guys. And it sounds like Duke's like, Hey, you like this guy's coming. Like this guy is an invaluable piece at Duke that he needs to be here. And so for me, that really narrows down the coaching search to you hire internally. And this is pure speculation on my end. This is not anything. Do not any, any listeners do not take this as like, this is where Duke's going. This is just me talking <laughs> as I always do. <laughs> But it, it leans to Duke's going to hire internally, whether that's Trooper, John, Santucci, whatever they want to go. Obviously, Trooper's the interim. and Or Manny Diaz, who was Feely's head coach, who hired Feely at Miami. And that, again, goes with my speculation that Jess Simpson's the D-line coach at Duke. He coached under Diaz in Miami. Uh, the DB's coach, Ishmael Aristide. Aristide. Yeah. He was the DB coach, or he had a position at Miami under Manny Diaz. And so, again, this is just me connecting dots as a fan, not connecting dots because I have no idea what's happening in the coaching uh, carousel because Jim Knowles could be interviewing for the job as he has interviewed or is rumored to be interviewing for the job, and he could be like, you know what, that's great. Yeah, we have a strength and conditioning coach at Durham, and Durham, that's perfect. So they have no connection in the coaching world, but if he – likes what he's done. So that's what I mean that you can't jump the gun and make it seem that it's trooper or Manny. But for me as a coach, I'm like, all right, one block's already here. And uh, yeah, it, regardless is a huge win for Duke. Like that he needed to stay in Durham or Duke's gonna have to find a very close second person to be the next David Feely at Duke. And luckily Nina King worked her magic to where he's staying back in Durham. Yeah. Yeah, um, the, I can debunk a little of the Manny Diaz stuff. Like it, yeah, I've go ahead. Been told it is not an indication that Manny Diaz has already been made an offer, already been hired. Like none of that. Um, he remains a candidate, right? Um, See, and that, but, that's but, the perfect. That's the perfect fan speaks their piece. 
the little J speaks, the big J is like, well, this is what's really happening. So that's why this is the point of the show right here, Connor. It's it's a logical conclusion. Like you're you're obviously not the only one that has made that uh jump. Shout out to to Bennett. Um Bull City Coordinates. Oh gosh. Yeah. I, for some reason I wanted to say Duke City Coordinators. I was like, no, that's not right. <laughs> um, yeah, shout out to um yeah and internally uh that makes sense too um we'll we'll see where they go uh i think we still have there's still legwork here that needs to needs to go through the process yeah i mean like i said i'm pretty sure i read i think it was in the athletic or somewhere i've i've read so much duke content over the last week and a half it's been unbelievable but Duke, Nina King, and them are at a convention, I think, in Las Vegas today through Wednesday, and they're doing in-person interviews. And I've read that somewhere, cannot put my finger on it. I probably read it in multiple places, and that's why I can't put my finger on one significant source. But that's uh, it's going to speed up this week regardless, and there there will be leaks eventually, not today, maybe not tomorrow, but Wednesday, maybe at the end of the third day of in-person meetings where you can start gathering gathering intel on maybe one or two candidates that are legit up in the running. And like one name that keeps coming out now is Jim Knowles. And obviously a lot of Duke fans don't really want Jim Knowles, which I'm initially when his name was put out, I was kind of feeling the same way, but I've had time to think about it for the last like week to where if I trust Nina King, First and foremost, so she made a good hire with Mike Elko. So it'd be immature of me to be like, hey, I don't see the vision with Jim Knowles, even if he's, I think he's 59, somewhere around there. 58. 58. And obviously he was a head coach at Cornell 15, 20 years ago and had a losing record at Cornell, but that doesn't necessarily translate to what he could be at Duke. And since he's left Duke when he had a really successful stand as a D.C., he had Oklahoma State play defense for the first time in my lifetime under Jim Knowles. They weren't having shootouts like they always were under uh, Gundy. And then he's done a fantastic job at Ohio State for a couple of years. And so it's just like, I know his name might be worn out because he was at Duke for so long as D.C. And sometimes those defenses were get, would get gashed, but it was a diff- different Duke team. He was coaching with the track around the stadium, different recruiting pitches, different like if he's the head man and he can find good coordinators and good any like people around the program, then I think I'd, I, along with all Duke fans, should give him a chance. It makes sense. Um, I, I think the biggest thing in Jim Knowles' uh, corner, so to speak, is his familiarity with Duke. Like he, You know that he's going to come in and know the hurdles that Duke faces with getting kids into the program. Um the part of it that he doesn't know about that he has no chance to know about with Duke's troubles is NIL related. Like mm-hmm. he's, you know, it's, it's such a new part of college football that he hasn't been at Duke in six years. And that means it's, he's completely foreign to Duke and it's NIL situation. So I, I could get Jim Knowles. I could also get the reticence of, do we really want to go this route? Um, kind of flies in the face of, of my theory that Duke needs to keep swinging on the young up and comers. Cause there's no guarantee that 
a job like the one that just pulled Mike Elko away to Texas A&M comes open within a year or two, there's no guarantee that your coach has been successful to the tune of 16 wins in two years. Um, I think you just keep, keep hammering away at that while also improving the program with NIL support and with facilities. Um, it's still, you know, everybody loves to bring up the fact that Duke's locker room looks like crap. Well, the way you can kind of grease the wheels to get it fixed and it's already, it's already working toward this is having a head coach (laughs) who can design that in, in his image. Um, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the structural, um, renovations, like a lot of the little stuff is done all with the head coach in mind. Like that was, it's one of the things that Mike Elko said at a media day that really impressed, uh, made not impressed, but really stuck with me was um, when he was the defensive coordinator, he thought that he was running 50% of the program. Like he, he was the guy, he was in charge of half the program. And it wasn't until he became a head coach that he realized he was in charge of about 10% of the program. And the offensive coordinator is in charge of about 10% and the head coach is in charge of about 80%. And he realized that when they came to him and asked him to pick out like 47 pictures that would be hung on the walls in the, in the weight room in the locker room in the hallways and all this different shit that he just had no idea that he'd have to deal with. And so that's something that I'd be curious if, if Jim Knowles, the head coach for so long ago at an Ivy league school, I don't know how well he's prepared to be a head coach at a P five. Um, it's, it's, and he, an struggled at the, he struggled with the uh, Cornell, too. That's the thing. It wasn't yeah. like he had a 60% winning percentage at Cornell. It was under 500. And so that's another thing that, and again, I know it's a long time ago, but it's just, hey, you got to look at it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's all fair. What, and uh, for the record, like I said, I'm, I'm not anti him, but he's also not like number one on my board. And uh, I'll just give him, I'll give him an opportunity as a fan. And I think that's probably like for fans, they just want, they just want the guy right now. But what, uh, what have you heard for, have you heard anything else about like Jason Candle out of Toledo or Summerall from Troy or even Alex Atkins at Florida state, the offensive coordinator? I have not heard Atkins name come up yet. He would make a lot of sense. Um, I do know Duke is interested in Jason Candle and John Summerall. Um, I don't know if they're going to get interviews because of it. I don't know if there's interest on their parts. Uh, I think we already talked about Candle. I mean, he's he's been an Ohio guy for so long that it just seems like he's holding out for, you know, I'm, I'm sure you probably can't go from being the coach of Toledo to the coach of Ohio State. So I don't know what his ceiling is, but it seems like he's holding out for something. I just don't know what it is. Um, maybe it is. Maybe it is Duke. Maybe Maybe he's a Duke basketball fan, grew up that way, and has always wanted to come coach at Wallace Wade. Like, who knows? Uh, the, the, you find out this random shit after they get hired. Like, whoever it is, you'll, you'll find out all this stuff after the fact. Um, Connor, real quick, let me cut you off real quick. That's so funny you said that because last week my dad called me, and he was listening to Coach K's podcast. And he was like, I know who's coming to Duke. I said, who? He said, Dan Lanning. I was like, of Oregon? 
He was like, yeah, he grew up, he's a huge Duke fan. And I'm like, dad, you just need to stop. And obviously he was kind of pulling my leg, but it was so funny. It sounds so convinced. He's like, yeah, he's talking so highly of Duke. And I'm like, dad, Dan Lanning is not going to go from Oregon to Duke because he's a Duke basketball fan. <laughs> I think Dan Lanning, if he wanted, he could probably come to about half the games at Cameron. I, I'm just glad. Yeah, I'm just glad my as the Oregon, like he just commute, yeah. like come yeah, from he, Oregon. He could, yeah, he could just come. He can make a quick, like, hey, I'm honey, I'm going to go uh, recruit in the East Coast. I'm going yeah. to the Durham area is just flooded with kids. <laughs> He's just got Duke, Southern Illinois. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad my dad doesn't know how to work message boards because I would have to be fighting my dad every time when I'm on a message board, especially yours with. The insane takes like that that Dan Lanning could be coming to Durham. But yeah, Jason Candle, obviously we talked about him and uh Coach Summerall of Troy as well. And Atkins is John, Sum- John Summerall's a little more interesting. Like he's got the defensive background, right? right. Jason Candle is a receiver in college. He was a receiver's coach, then he was an offensive coordinator. Like everything in his background is offense, offense, offense. And that's why Toledo scores a shitload of points, except in the Mac championship game when they couldn't get much of anything going right for him. For the record, I I watched that whole game. I did not think it was a very poorly coached game. It just bounces didn't go their way. Um, And they look like a team that I've seen covering high school football many times that they're on a really long winning streak and they didn't really know how to handle the fact that they were down two scores because they know nothing but success for the last three months. Yeah, and Um, it's a weird time too because – you start hearing rumblings of your coach leaving, and that's a distraction because, I mean, Tulane lost, and that was the rumblings Willie Fritz was possibly heading out to Houston for the last week or so, and then it kind of was yeah. confirmed before the game, and they laid an egg, and that they're a really, ta- uh, really talented team. They play Virginia Tech bowl game, and that'll probably be a depleted roster by the time they play Virginia Tech because head coach leaves, guys will probably transfer, and it's just the one negative for me about bowl season now or uh, the portal is they it's open before bowl season. Like I feel like there should be some yeah. sort of limitation towards that. Like finish your year, then you can leave. Like if you lose if you win less than six games, you're not bowl eligible, you can enter the portal immediately. But if you're bowl eligible, there has to be a window for them after the season. Well that's why all the bowls should be played at the beginning of the year. Yeah. Like what do you mean? I don't know. We need to get into this all now, but I, it, they're exhibition games. So just play them as an exhibition game in the middle of August. Have one for every single team because we're reaching that point now. Like 82 out of 133 teams go to bowls. I think you just turn it into your preseason game. And then December all becomes the playoff with 12 teams. And roster management for the other 121 or however many teams aren't in the playoff. It's all roster management. It's not roster management plus get ready to go play a game that only people who care about TV ratings and only people that, you know, want to see next year's starters or who's going to be back are going to watch. Um, that's a that's an interesting take. I haven't thought of that before, Connor. I'm not going to say it's one. It's one of my radical ideas to to make college football better that'll never come to fruition because it makes too much sense. And obviously I'm not going to be the college football commissioner anytime soon, but it yeah, just, just play bowl. Like 
base it off of the previous season. So, you know, Duke has a really good, has a decent season this year. Troy has a really good season. Have them meet up somewhere in the middle of August next year and play. And I, I don't know whether it should count in your win-loss. Uh, I don't, that's actually, I like that idea of like, hey, we'll go ahead and give you the matchup going into next season of who you would have played for the Bulls in December. I don't mind that because there's Duke's a six-point underdog against Troy and we don't know what the roster is going to be like. Three, according to Adam Rowe, 24-7 sports, uh, only Ryan Leonard, RJ Oban, and Charlie Ham are officially in the portal. But there's other guys that have publicly posted on Twitter that they're going to the portal, like Jalen Stinson and Anish Peebles and a couple others. But, yeah, if you – Duke's possibly is losing a handful of guys, and so it's going to be a kind of a depleted roster against Troy in a couple weeks. But, yeah, you get a whole offseason to play your bowl game. Hey, I like Duke's chances a lot more. But that is fascinating. I liked your idea. And for every coach that wants to call the end of season bowl a reward, guess what? Now you get to call it a reward that players stick with your program. The play, the players it hurts are the seniors. Like it's like that's something that you would either have to get over or find some other way to work around it. Um, you know, you'll have I'm trying to think of an example off like Cole Finney for Duke. Uh, is a tight end who I believe is out of eligibility. Um, he's, he's by all accounts done nothing wrong in his time at Duke. He deserves a chance to go play in a bowl game to end his career. Um, he wouldn't get that chance. Yeah, and that's tough. Like, uh, make make no make no bones. At, like that is that is tough. But if you want to talk about solving college football's issues, move the bowls to August. Play them as exhibitions because there are already exhibitions. Well, if you want to really go deep dive into it, which I know we're not, but if you did a uh, anonymous poll within the locker room, hey, who wants to play a bowl game two days before Christmas or the day after Christmas, that's going to be a lot of no's rather than a lot of yeses. Yeah. It's more yeah. so just for the it's money grabbing as for the fans. It's not for the players and it's not for the coaches because they're missing out on holiday time with their loved ones when they're – Duke's playing in Birmingham, Alabama on December 23rd when there's really – if you really take a step back, it's like, what are we doing here? So – No, I, why do you think they get all the bowl swag? It's yeah. just shit to make them feel good about having to miss family time. Swag. Connor, I haven't heard that – I haven't heard, heard that word in 10 years. <laughs> you know what swag stands for? I I used to, but I don't know right now off the top of my head. Stuff we all get. That's right. That's a, such a 2010 word, 2012 word in high school, Connor. I cannot believe you've made me feel this old. But, yeah, Duke plays Birmingham Bowl. Um, and I think that pretty much covers it for the coach candidates. We covered Matt Diaz – or Manny Diaz. Matt Diaz played for the Braves. Manny Diaz, Trooper Taylor, interim, uh, hiring within. Knowles, Candle, Summerall, and we got the latest with – Charles Software looks like he's probably staying at uh, Marshall because of the candidacy. And the last thing I want to touch on is Atkins. With what happened at Florida State, for Florida State, where they're no longer in the college football playoff, maybe he could be a dark horse candidate because it was a hard no. I'm preparing an offense for the college football playoff to where I know the Orange Bowl, they're still playing Georgia, which is huge honor. But now it's like, you know what? Like, we're not in the playoff. I am open to hear a phone call about a head coaching opportunity. So that's one that I could see maybe this week Duke 
interviews over the phone or what have you. Oh, and uh, Tony Gibson. Yeah, I was going to mention him if you if you hadn't gotten have you around heard to him. any latest with that one. No latest. Just he he interviewed for the job last week. Um, made a short commute from Raleigh. Uh, it makes sense, right? Like it's he's NC in the area. State. He's done a great job with NC State's defense. Um, will it, it? It does kind of feel like a Mike Elko repeat. Like successful defensive coordinator has never been a head coach before. Um, I think he's never been a head coach before. There's. I think you're there's correct. one guy. I think it was Knowles who, who I was prepared to say has never been head coach before, and then looked up in his bio and he's like, "Oh, shit, he had six years as a head coach or something like that." I'm pretty sure that was Knowles. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, man, Atkins. Like I would, if I was at Florida State, I would be doing everything I could to get out of the ACC. I'm so disgusted with, still, uh, with with how that played out. Yeah, well, you're not the only one in the ACC country that feels that way. Uh, as Twitter or X, people are up in arms. But, yeah, Atkins is one I'd keep my eye on for a long shot as the message, as the hot boards and everything will start speeding up here in the next 24 hours about potential candidates. But for me personally, as I've said, Manny Diaz would be my number one right now as is, and I'm sticking to that. I just think – the visions there, as you said, it means zero that David Feely is, stay, is expected to stay. And there's correlation there with Manny Diaz to me to where comfortability matters and turnover. And I, regardless, I'm going to end, I'm going to close with this. If Trooper Taylor is not hired as a head coach, the next head coach has to retain Trooper Taylor for the job that he's done at Duke over two coaching changes. He's done an incredible job and he's been associate head coach now four times in his career. So that's remarkable. Yeah, I, I've, I kind of wish I got to know Trooper better. Um, maybe I'll need to request him for interviews more often or something like that. Uh, he is one of the most entertaining coaches to watch in practice because he is – I don't want to phrase this delicately. Um, he is not afraid to light your ass up for mistakes, and it's pretty hilarious. Um, you know, there was uh, – his position group was going through drills at a fall camp practice. And uh, there was one guy who went up for a sideline catch. And uh, I can't remember what the exact context was, but it was, he, he was told very politely by trooper that if he tried to do that in the season opener, which was against Clemson, that Clemson would do harm unto him. Uh, if he tried to replicate the same move that he did. And that was one of many examples. Um, Trooper's also in charge of uh, punt returners. So he's back there in practice when Jalen Calhoun and Samir Higgins and a couple other guys are are catching punts. And uh, sometimes you wind up being, you know, 15 yards away from them by places to stand at Duke's practices the last couple of years and uh, don't, don't drop punts and you'll hear about it. That's why when, when you've gotten all up in arms about Jalen Calhoun muffing punts over the last couple of years, it's like, Jordan, as much as you want to yell at him, he's getting yelled at. 
It's not like he's going back to the sideline and everybody's just patting him on the back and saying, oh, good job, good effort. It's just, hey, he did. He it's did going to be punt. corrected. He muffed a punt against Clemson, and I'll give him credit. He did not muff a punt the rest of the season. They not do one all year? Yeah, so that was impressive. Right. Yeah. I, sh- I should have known that because I – like a, a red light should have gone off my head for you not bringing it up for like three <laughs> straight weeks. No, he did it. He's done a really good job in punt returning after the week one uh, fumble against Clemson. But, Connor, that does it for this episode. I appreciate you as always. And next, we record the last couple of Mondays. But if anything happens on the coaching end where, it's, where it needs to be breaking news, we might have an emergency pod over the weekend. But until then, brother, I appreciate you, and I'll talk to you next time. Sounds good. Thanks, Jordan.